It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! My timing is way off. <laughs> All right, uh, I'd like to welcome my special guest, Mr. Keith LeBrant. We're having audio problems today. I want to know from you guys if you can hear us okay in the chat room. Testing one two 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 testing. Plus eighteen. I, I can't even. Uh, they're saying yep, they can hear us. Okay, good. All right. Uh, so that's good to know. My audio is really low. My headphones. We've checked out every possibility. Anyway, I am really excited to have Keith on the show today. Keith is a little low. Oh well, but yes, we can hear. All right. <laughs> Uh, here, I'll move my microphone back so my levels, uh, Keith's a little low and bassy. I know, it's, now everybody's like, yeah, he is. I can't turn him up. Uh, I, we both have every possible audio thing jacked up to the max. His voice is muffled, I know. All right, uh, and you can't get any closer to that USB mic, right? I can try. I am here. All right, well, that, yeah, that is a little better. Keith sounds like he's talking on a headphone mic. He's not. He's actually talking through his USB mic, which is part of his Logitech camera, and usually those mics are pretty darn good. Anyway, um, hi, Keith. How are you, buddy? Good to see you. So I was working. Uh, we were doing a little refresh on the homepage of the Taxi website a few days ago, and I saw that Ariana had grabbed an updated quote from Keith, and that quote was, I've had 105,455 placements on 1,711 TV shows on 283 networks. Which is, I mean, that's insane. Um, and so anyway, I wanted to have him on the show because a lot of people have been talking about how many tracks do you need to make a full-time income with sync. And there's a lot to this. It's not just a simple calculation. So we're going to jump deeply into that. Um, by the way, Keith did this music. <laughs> so it was two years ago before the first virtual road rally. And probably a month before, I sent Keith an email and said, hey, can you do me a favor and make me theme music for the road rally that either sounds like Joe Walsh or ZZ Top or a combination of the two? And I'm kidding you not that about an hour later, I get this track back from him. And I said, that's perfect. And he goes, well, that was a demo. I said, no, that, that's <laughs> fine. It's perfect just like it is. Um, and he did me like, you know, a five second, a 10 second, a 20, a 30, a 60. I've got all these different versions of it. And uh, I loved it so much. I just kept using it after the road rally. So thank you, Keith. Uh, it was great music. And um, you're, uh, you know, I'm going to use it live in the ballroom when I walk on the stage for the in-person road rally this year. So I'm excited about that as well. Um, I do miss my little pink uh, Japanese keyboard thing that I bought at Toys R Us, but this is way better. Um, anyway, so uh, sit tight for a couple of minutes. I want to read a little preamble that I wrote out, um, and then we're going to get into the Q&A part of today's show about how many tracks do you need to make a full-time income with sync? 
There, I did that like a voiceover guy. Um, so people ask me this question every week. Somebody somewhere will ask me the question, how many tracks do I need to make a full-time um, income from sync music? Um, they asked me in the chat room on Taxi TV. They've asked me in the hotel elevator, even standing in the bathroom at the urinal at the road rally, uh, which is, by the way, November 3rd through the 6th this year. Um, they asked me in Taxi's forum. So why are musicians so obsessed with the magic number of tracks it takes before you can earn a full-time income with your music? I don't know. But I would guess that it's because they'd rather have their day job be their music, which they love making, versus their day gig now, which they may not like so much. Um, by the way, people have told me over the years, and I've repeated this uh, over the years, and it may actually be that I wasn't giving out the right information or not the full story, but people have told me, well, if you got a thousand tracks out in the wild or 1,500 tracks, um, you know, that's going to be enough to make really good money, kind of inferring, you know, that you're over the $100,000 mark. But do the numbers and stats really give any indication at all as to how many placements and how much income you can expect to earn? I don't think so, and here's why. It's all about context. I see taxi members posting their annual stats on our forum at the end of each year of their membership. But most of the time, those stats aren't necessarily all that relevant. Just because you make a lot of submissions, the number alone doesn't tell us, A, if your music is great. I mean, there are people that make a lot of submissions that aren't so strong. And B, if the music you submit is on target for the listings you've submitted to, that's key. And C, what genres are the tracks that you're submitting? In baseball, which I really know nothing about, quite frankly, but apparently Keith does because he's wearing a hat. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, baseball's never, I've, I've always been kind of a football guy, never a baseball guy, sorry to say. Um, anyway, in baseball, if I'm swinging the bat at every pitch that comes my way, the number that matters is how often I hit the ball when I swing. Uh, you could be a lousy hitter. So saying that you swung a thousand times doesn't indicate how soon you're going to hit the ball or hit a home run, especially if you're not learning and getting better with every swing that you make. That's important. Some people do, meaning get better, and some people don't. They just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. So let's say that you get a hit half the time, 50% of the time, and you've got 500 tracks in several different music libraries. But will 500 prog rock tracks get used as often as 500 dramedy or hip hop tracks? No, just not that much um, demand for prog rock. I think it'd be cool to turn on a TV show and hear um, something from the band, yes, but uh, it doesn't happen very often. So the raw number of tracks you've had forwarded or even signed could be irrelevant as to how much money you're making. The genre you're cranking out, I believe, is very relevant. When music libraries, uh, which music libraries are you getting your music in is also very important when trying to calculate how much income you might expect to earn. Um, are the music libraries can't read my own typing. Are the music libraries your music is in the right ones for your most frequently produced genres? You could have hundreds of prog rock tracks in several different libraries, but your tracks rarely get used because it's just a, not a genre that gets requested very often from supervisors. 
Conversely, you could also have hundred hundreds of tracks in genres that are frequently used, but if those tracks are in libraries that don't have clients or shows that use those genres very often, then the end result is going to be the same. Not very many placements and not a lot of income. Here's an example. I got an email from a taxi member who let me know that he's had dozens of returns from taxi on his tension cues, but those very same tension cues were accepted into another music library's catalog. I was like, oh man, we let this guy down. But then when I asked him which library it was, I got the answer that I kind of expected, which was they're in a royalty-free library. I asked him how many placements he's had from all those tension cues in that library over the last two years, and his answer was, well, none so far, but I'm sure they'll come. So I, you know, I kind of grimaced a little bit, actually. I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case, and here's why. Many of the royalty-free libraries actually have a lower bar, and, and some of them, the curation is almost non-existent. Um, they'll accept almost anything. You know, if it sounds reasonably like music, yeah, man, sure, here, sign here, we'll put it in our library. Um, and the music that's in a lot of those royalty-free catalogs gets used for wedding videos, it gets used for home videos, it gets used uh, by people for TikTok stuff, it gets used on YouTube videos. Um, and, and let's face it, they don't use a lot of tension cues. Usually it's kind of like, you know, comedic stuff or just pretty background music. Um, although maybe some of the weddings actually should use more tension cues. Let's see, do I <laughs> There we go. <laughs> oh, I feel so... <laughs> Thank you, Roadcaster. Enough! Calm down, audience. Stop it! <laughs> anyway, do you think reality shows that do, a ton, uh, do use a ton of tension cues license those tracks from royalty-free catalogs? I suspect not. Therefore, one could deduce, and that's the first time I've ever actually used the word deduce on an episode of Taxi TV, so <laughs> a very short round of applause on that. Uh, therefore, one could deduce that a couple of dozen high-quality tension cues and a couple of high-quality music libraries that have close working relationships with shows like The Bachelor or catfish will get used far more often and earn much more income than having 500 tension cues in catalogs that don't have many relationships with those shows or any clients who need them. So let me read that one more time because this is really key to the whole thing. Therefore, one could deduce that a couple of dozen high quality tension cues in a couple of high quality music libraries that have close working relationships with shows like The Bachelor or Catfish will get used far more often and earn much more income than having 500 tension cues and catalogs that don't have many or any clients who need them or use them. So there you go. So now you see why the number of tracks you have out there relies heavily on where you have them and what genre they are as to how much income that they will produce. And this is just one example of why the track count can be absolutely meaningless. Another misleading number is the number of tracks. Are they a thousand distinct tracks or does that number actually only reflect 300 distinct tracks? But when you add in the alt mixes and the cutdowns of those 300, it sounds impressive to say I've got a thousand tracks out there. 
So you really need to determine that. So now it's time to dig deeper with a world-class expert who actually has 105,455 placements on 1,711 TV shows on 283 networks. Thank you for waiting Keith, patiently, Keith. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, I'm gonna have to have you lean in. There you go, um, it, it's good. Now your head's like almost yeah, bigger than mine, but whatever, at least we can hear you. It's so weird. Can't We tried so hard to solve this audio problem. We spent a good half hour on it, couldn't get it any better. Um, anyway, so let's dig into the numbers. Before we do, I want to let our viewers know that Keith has a full-time job. He's got a family. He's got a wife and a daughter. Uh, and at this point in his life, he doesn't create music for his full-time gig. He could if he wanted to quit his job and, you know, and start doing it eight hours a day. But frankly, not to be judgmental, but I think he's making the right choice. He's got a, a day gig that pays him well. He likes it. Um, so he's earning two sets of income to build up his, his stash of money for retirement faster than if he were going to. Because if he left his job today, it would take him a year or two to get to the point where he would supplant that income. So he's doing a smart thing, which is holding down both jobs and not letting the music thing take away from the attention that he needs to give his day job. So yay for that. Um, he hasn't crossed over the six-figure line yet. Uh, I have a pretty good idea how much money he makes. I'm not going to tell you. But, I, but he does make a very significant, okay? So that's all I'm going to tell you is he ain't over the six-figure line yet, but he does make a very significant income that most anybody would be impressed by. So, Keith, how many tracks do you have in production music libraries to accomplish those numbers of 105,000 placements? Uh, just one. It's a co-write with Diane Warren. <laughs> Whoops, wrong button. <laughs> okay, there we go. That was funny. <laughs> so, how many do I have in production libraries? Yeah, how many tracks do you have out there? Funny in... story about that. So, okay. um, I had an Excel spreadsheet, right? So, then, you know, long story short, I'm thinking around 2000, but there's a funny story, ironic story about that is that I think around like, I definitely had a thousand, Composer Catalog was created, and I did the most idiotic thing is I, while developing a certain update, I completely wiped out my data and my backups. So, so and what do you do for, what do you do for yeah. a living? <laughs> So people who get my emails, I always say, make sure you you know back up your data. But I you know so I can't really go back at this point. I would have to think it's 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 at least fifteen hundred to two thousand. I would think it's over two thousand. So I know at one point it was over a thousand. That was a couple of years ago. So I, I can't believe you didn't back it up. <laughs> <laughs> what did they say, well, doctor? The I did back it up and wipe those out too, on all in one shot. So <sighs> Doctor, good, heal thyself. Wow. <laughs> okay, so let's say yeah, it's around two thousand. Yeah. Um, got it. Okay, so how many music libraries would you say you have those two thousand tracks in? Right. So in the, in the very beginning, a little backstory, I guess. When I first started Taxi, uh, the first like two years, two or three years, I worked. 
my my tail off like as like probably not a healthy schedule <laughs> so, so i worked my tail off like late at night working all you know making cues and stuff like that and i got to the point where uh, i was making a lot of connections via taxi and i at one point probably had like 20 25 publishers right so not saying wow. that i was stocking not saying that i was stocking them all constantly but i had a good idea at that point to say well which ones are working which ones you know are kind of just sitting on the shelf and and what are my strengths compared to what do they do? So it was, it was a very cool opportunity to get that experience of all these different publishers and trying to, to figure out how we can work together. You know, so mm -hmm. some of them, maybe they didn't specialize. Maybe they were dance oriented. And I just got in with something, you know, off, off the cuff. So that probably wouldn't be a good bread and butter one for me. If it was more guitar oriented, that would be better. Um, so I, I, I got to a point where I started whittling them down, you know, to something a little bit more manageable. And at that point, you realize which ones were a better fit for both of us, publisher and the, and the composer. You know? So I think that's the most important thing is that you can have 4,000 publishers, but if you don't have a good relationship or, or there's, it's not a good fit, it's, it's really not worth it to, you know, to, to try to keep yeah. on feeding that or... I hear members saying to members, other members, oh, can you tell me what library you're having the most yeah. success with? And, and frankly, I wish the members wouldn't give up that info to other members because then what happens is member B reaches out to member A's library that they've had a lot of success with, but the two people do different types of music. Right. One of them does dramedy cues, the other one does trailer orchestrals, let's say. Yeah. So yeah. then the library hears the trailer orchestrals and goes, wow, these are really good. I should put these in my right. catalog, but they're not really thinking, I just don't have a lot of clients for this. Right. So therefore then Composer B is a little ticked off. It's like, wow, I can't believe they did great for you, Keith. They did terribly yeah. for me. Yeah. It's because 80% of their clients are reality shows. They don't need orchestral trailers. Yeah. So there are and just so many ways that can go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Another aspect is like, say you worked, you saw a taxi listing and you worked your, your butt off for like, I don't know, 24 hours to create this epic trailer. Uh, queue and you submitted it, you got it forwarded, and they said, "Great, we'd like ten more." You know, and then that's that's not your strength, and you you work, you, you kind of you know did your best on that one, and now they're asking for ten more, so you yeah. got to learn that genre real quick, you know. And, and so it's it's pros and cons because I I think with the taxi it opened me up to different genres, which is great, you know. But I, I don't think I'll like I like in, in the strictly dance genre, I know that's not me. So it would take me a while to dissect that, analyze it. Not that I say I couldn't, but if someone said, okay, that's great, I need 10 more, I'd be like, ooh, I gotta really, you know, put some time into that, compared to like something more guitar-oriented where it, it would take me two seconds. Got it. Um, how long have you been doing this? I, I, I know that you've played in bands, done a lot of live gigs, I know that you've made records of your own music, but Around the time you joined Taxi, was that the first time you forayed into getting music into any form of media? Yeah, it started actually probably maybe a couple months before that, just trying to do it on my own, and it was ridiculous. You know, just trying, like, like just trying to find the time to do that and keep track and try to, you know, I, it just 
taxi was well worth it. I've, I've told you many times it's it's well worth that price because you, you're not dealing with that. You know, you, you you vet the publishers. You know what's going on. You have that that relationship already, and now you're just opening doors. So I, I probably started with Taxi in 2007, I think, down there. Okay. Um, so it's been 15 yeah, years. Yeah. Um, um, and just people are still talking in, in the chat room about the audio. Just so everybody knows, we cannot solve yeah, this problem. Yeah. Two very <laughs> capable audio engineers. Um, and we've tried the microphone in his headset. We've tried the microphone that's built into his Logitech camera. And we've tried the microphone that's built into his laptop. Excuse me. Uh, we've tried everything. It's just, it ain't working. So I'm so sorry, folks. This is as good as it's going to get. Sherry Bell says she can hear okay. Well, apparently, Sherry, you must be less than 60 years old because the rest of us are a bunch of old codgers with bad hearing. All right, so let's keep going here. Um, so in the beginning, um, when you first started up 15 years ago, give us a timeline of your productivity, like how many tracks would you do in a week or a month in a year? Well, like I said, in the beginning, I was I was hitting it hard. So I would probably say at least five to seven cues a week, probably more. Like it was just, it was a lot. It was, I was spending a lot of time like late at night. So, so at you've least, You've always been, I guess, fast in the studio because I know a lot of people just yeah. starting out might take a week to do one cue. I, I personally think yeah. maybe they're overthinking it, over perfecting yeah. it, but they want to get it really right. I understand the reasoning for doing it. I, I think there's another thing too is you don't, like you said, you don't overthink it. Where sometimes we take it personally with, when you're trying to create a cue, you want it to, you, you know, you want it to be awesome. Well, sometimes television doesn't need awesome you know when you listen to the reality shows and stuff like that I was, I was watching some home building show it's just a basic bed you know like half the times they don't take the lead they take the lead out they use the you know the alternate mix where it's just rhythm guitar and some drums and a bass and that's it you know so that was probably the biggest lesson when I first started was how to really just boil it down to the basics because I was writing like many epic songs because I was used to being a songwriter and so it got to the point where once, once you start learning, okay, you got some taxi feedback. It says, well, you really should do that, this, this, this. And then you kind of say, okay, this is all I need. You know, I need a basic melody, some chords, and drums and a bass. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, it, it, it's, it's kind of letting go of your, your ego, you know. And right, your urge to have your music be the thing that everybody goes, yeah. wow, that's the best piece yeah. of music yeah, I've yeah. ever heard in a cooking show in my life. And if they make if they make that comment, then you've failed. You, you have failed for making it too good. And it's not that you're making it bad. You're just making it so that it enhances the emotion and the energy of the show versus sticking out going, hey, the music is cooler than what the people on the camera are saying. Yeah. Yep, they get yep. cranky about Absolutely. that. Speaking of egos. Um, all right, can... Uh, so in a really productive year, at a peak level of, you know, Keith is like yeah. drinking a lot of coffee and working really late at night and totally ignoring your family on the weekend. How, what's the yeah. most highest number of tracks you've ever cranked out in a year estimated? I, I, yeah, complete estimate. And this was, again, the, probably the first two or three years because I'm nowhere near that pace now. Um, but it was, it was probably five to seven a week, maybe probably. I'm just, I don't know. Like, it's, it's been so long. But he probably had 250, 300, like, 
Okay. Right. So that's a lot. Um, quite yeah. an accomplishment. And, and I know yeah. your work really well. And, and, and you were making good tracks at that rate, which is impressive. Yeah. But I, w I wouldn't suggest that schedule for everybody because it, it really did wear. I mean, it really made me kind of think I got to step back. And, and you know, you, you have to balance life and music. And uh, But it was great. I mean, that was awesome because it really built my catalog quickly. Like, so mm -hmm. if you have the time, like, uh, getting back to that number, what do you need? I don't know if I'm, like, jumping ahead, but I really think there's something to that thousand number. I really do. But like, it's, but just not, ahead. not just yeah. the number, though, because, again, yeah. you could have a thousand pieces of music that are prog rock that nobody's going to use, or at least not yeah. use very often. You could have a thousand pieces of music pieces of music in the wrong catalogs not going to yeah. get used very often so what yeah. you did was I, the right I, thing to I, do you you yeah, made the right I'm music sure. for the right catalogs that had the right outlet yeah. for your music and i think by the time you're waiting a thousand pieces of music you have those relationships and you know which ones work so it's not like I me mean, i would i would think i'm just going by you know my opinion by the time you're getting that thousand you know track mark like you've already had working relationships with these publishers and you know which ones are are you know what strengths they are and what what you can give them and you kind of know every, every you know how to help them and they help you and you know so yeah. you're not just submitting blindly to a, a, a library and then it's going to sit on the shelf that's another thing too is there's a lot of publishers that i was connected to um that would write specifically for hey we need this for this television show right so you knew it wasn't sitting on the shelf so that automatically was like okay that's a priority you know because i know this is most likely going to be you, you know? and then the also the another fact is the longevity of a queue like we just got our bmi statements and a lot of our friend mutual friends um i'm still seeing duck dynasty from back you know probably when i you know first started with taxi somewhere around there when when that wow. was like the big payday right so but you still see it and so think about that when you have those amount of cues back then and different shows and they're still replaying you know you're 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 building your library and you're also building your your you know the royalty stream at that point yeah you know you are not dissimilar from two or three other successful taxi members that i know that they really hit it hard in the first couple of years let's yeah. matt vanderbo is a great example yeah. of that yeah. um uh, trying to think who else um matt hurt another great example of that once he figured it out he went oh so if i had been matt's matt's yeah. swiss accent oh so if i made this much and one the one what if i did a hundred like that and he's literally told me that in the parking lot outside the taxi office and then he just hit it really hard so it's good because what it does is it gets a lot of your work out in the wild really quick so it starts the income stream then you can slow down because you've got right some income um you do songs as well and frankly i'm not sure if you do songs for for media i know you do albums of your own work which by the way gotta tell you keith is, is a world-class shredder the guy can play several genres of guitar like you know um oh i don't know steve vai style I, what would you what is that style Prague? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to say shred. It's not shred, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's melodic, you know, but, but that, it, it's tech, there's technique and technical, I guess, involved with that. But 
it's more of a mashup of blues and tech technical stuff, and it's kind of like Steve Vai, Joe Satriani kind of deal. So, yeah. Who's the other guy that you turned me on to that I really loved? That oh, it's like oh, Paul Gilbert. Paul right. Gilbert, amazing. Okay, yeah. um, anyway, just so you guys know. Um, Keith is literally, he could like get a call, you know, from Steve Vai's band. Steve can't make the show tonight. Uh, can you come fill in for him? I have a feeling he could pull that off. He is literally that good. Um, ironically, but, ironically, since you mentioned that, I, I did have a call with Steve Vai's promotional manager who does all the promo for him for that album I put out. Uh, couldn't get couldn't get things together, but, but that was pretty cool. We, we talked for about 40 minutes and he, he really enjoyed the album. So that was like, a nice, uh, nice, yeah, nice pat on the back, I guess. Um, remind me, like Wednesday or Thursday of this week, not Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm book solid already. Remind okay. me Thursday, and I'll reach out. I don't know if he's still a partner with that good friend of mine in the record label that I don't want to mention because a thousand people will send him stuff. Yeah. But um, if if they're still doing that label. You're the kind of artist they put on that label, so let me check. Um, yeah, we we'll oh. Yeah. A anyway, so the amazing thing is that as talented and as accomplished as Keith has become on guitar, which is, I mean, it's like mind-blowingly good. Uh, he doesn't really get to use that skill set so much in production music, you know, probably closer to Louie Louie than Joe Satriani a lot of the time. Um, but let's get back to songs and tracks for a second, which is how I went to start going down that rabbit hole. Um, have you, do you ever do songs for production music libraries with lyrics and vocals? Uh, very rarely I'll sing because uh, I, I, I do have a couple of vocal albums out. Very rarely, but I'll do a couple of co writes a, a year. You know, I, I don't know. Um, uh, so I don't necessarily sing, but actually, I just finished a couple of different uh, projects with uh, the, uh, the the Paul Ottens and the, and the, and the Cufflins and the Ethans. So we, we have right. a little, uh, little cool group there. So, but getting back to your question, um, I don't, it's probably like, percent of what I do yeah. okay so that's good to know because th there is a difference um, I, I saw actually John Pearson who I was happy to see in the chat room before yo JP uh, that people who make songs while a typical piece of instrumental music gets used in an episode of Duck Dynasty um, you might get a royalty statement that tells you you made 87 cents for that or $4.13. It's extremely rare that you're going to make hundreds of dollars on a single placement or thousands of dollars. I mean, that you if your piece of instrumental music were in a big national TV commercial for Ford trucks, you might make 50000 or or 100000 But typically when your music is in a reality show, you're making little chunks of money, but it all adds up because of the volume of all those placements. Whereas with a song, you might get $2,500 to $5,000 on a sync fee to get your song placed in, you know, an episode of, I don't know, whatever, something that's a hit on broadcast uh, television. So you get more money for music that's got for songs with lyrics and vocals but the number of placements you get is going to be dramatically lower. So I find that I've, 
observed that taxi members who do mostly instrumentals but maybe do two or five or ten percent stuff with songs every now and then they'll get a big hit on a song meaning a big placement on a song and that bolsters the income for that year so that's something to think about uh, and for those of you who are songwriters just know you think well I'm a songwriter yeah but you know what doing instrumental cues is a lot easier than doing songs. You don't have to write a lyric. You don't have to get a great vocal take. You don't have to add background vocals. The mixes are easier to nail. And you only need to do a 90-second thing versus a three-minute song. And you don't need an intro, a verse, a chorus, or a pre-chorus and a chorus and a bridge. Instead, you just A-section it all the way through with maybe a B-section in the middle to give a little variation. So. I personally, if I were talented in the musical department, if I had the hands, I'd be doing instrumental tracks. Um, can you give us a rough guess as to your most productive genre or genres? Uh, definitely rock. Um, definitely rock, guitar-based, like, like sports. I'm kind of, if you look at my BMI statement, I, I feel like I'm doing really well in the sports. Like So games will play. I think I saw something on the Super Bowl pregame on the last one, so that was the last Super Bowl. Um, so I think I do the best when it comes to that kind of genre. Um, what are what are some other genres that you also do? Uh, it's like the acoustic kind of singer songwriter stuff, um, the blues kind of. It's all guitar guitar oriented. So the blues, like uh, garage rock kind of deal. Um, like like I said. The, Tobro acoustic kind of blues side, but it's all guitar based. You know, um, I'll do other stuff. Like I actually did a uh, almost like a, a, a Jonas Brothers uh, production album that was one of the, like top five downloaded. I, I want to say Universal uh, Library. You know, it was it was mind blowing to me because I, I'm not my strength but it was right. very cool to see that that was that was the most downloaded or one of the top five or something like that. no but clearly it may not have been your strength but i also know that you have really good skills at learning new genres and yeah. once again i'm gonna play the taxi theme song because this was literally i said to keith i sent him a very short email can you do me something that works as a theme song for the road rally the virtual road rally i want it to be either zz top or joe walsh or a combo of the two that kind of you know like a little bit of raw edge and attitude and get up out of your chair and this is what i got back from him an hour later And not that I recommend that everybody does this, but he will go to the trouble of seeing what kind of amp the guy in the band used, what kind of guitar he used, and mimic all that stuff to get as close to authentic as possible. So hats off for that. I don't think anybody sitting at home watching Taxi TV is going, oh, I bet he used uh, you know this amp or that guitar, but it sounds right. And that's, that's the bottom line, it sounds great. Um, how long well we already know that let's say you're doing five or six or seven a week uh, i was going to ask you how long it takes to crank out a typical like non-orchestral track but i do see a keyboard behind you so sometimes you do stuff with the keyboard yeah. right yeah no, absolutely yeah it's not just rock stuff um but a typical you know that kind of track would take like probably three four hours to, to get done you know in one okay track. um good to know but i think, but I think 
knowing, I mean, it's easy to say three, four hours, but it's also knowing your software, knowing what drums to use, knowing knowing the sounds, so you're not kind of just fiddling around going what amp or, you know, what drum sound am I looking for? Like, you know, as soon as somebody says ZZ Top, I know exactly what I'm going to pull, like, as far as that. If I don't, like you said, I'm going to research it uh, and try to find, I kind of geek out on that kind of stuff, too, so I try to research and, you know, get close. Do you have an obsessive compulsive component in your personality? I really don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I, that's not really me. But I, with music stuff, I kind of I, lo- I love to tone match and get something that sounds authentic um, for me. Like it's not just. I know it helps the publishers, but it's just kind of my my thing. Um, I'm not going to start answering questions from the chat room just yet. But uh, somebody did ask, uh, what kind of do you do real drums or do you do um, uh, drums uh, in a box? Program drums. So I use um, Superior Three or, or um, Easy Drummer. Okay. Um, oh, that's actually that's, I'm very compulsive about or very OCD about drum sounds. It's, it's all my life. I've always wanted like the perfect snare sound, you know. And I'm a, I'm a guitarist, but anytime I'll record. Like something from my own project or that guitar album I did, like I just spend the most time mixing drums. Like <laughs> it's, but it's always I don't know why, but it's always been what I focus on. It's weird. Wow, my kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back in my studio days, getting a great drum sound mattered right, so much right. to me, and yeah. I, I loved. It. There's nothing more satisfying than going, "Wow, yeah. those drums sound great." Um, okay, so. Uh, over time, did you notice which libraries seem to get the most placements for you and then strategize uh, which genres you worked in most often based on those placements? So in other words, if you saw that the libraries you're working with were getting a lot of like uh, acoustic pop rock, I'm just pulling that one out of thin air, but you know, light, happy, emotionally uplifting, it's a brand new day, acoustic pop rock. If you saw that that was a genre that a particular library was getting placed all the time, would you then orient yourself to doing more of that type of music rather than doing something else that you may actually enjoy more or love more if you were yeah. listening as a fan, but you you went where the money was? Yeah, I would. I guess with the publishers, you, you'd see that, uh, you know, hey, guess what? Your music's getting used on this television show. So then your ear kind of pops up and, and you kind of take a mental note. What was that? What did I record? Uh, why, why could it could it be special? I'm not saying it is special, but why did they pick that? You know, so you try to analyze that. And then you try to make more of that, you know, um, and not necessarily, uh, I, I guess, w- my strategy was the publishers that were, were um, uh, you know, I, I don't even know how it worked, but I got to the point where like they were like, "Hey, we need this for this television show." Like they were directly piped into that, so it was yeah. almost like a hierarchy. You know what I mean? So they were like priority one, and then it was like, "Hey, we need an album of this." Okay, uh, I can do that. You know, and, but I kind of put stuff in priority, and and I could see what was working for me. It might not work for everybody. Oh, it sounded like it worked really well. Um... Do you see that the number of placements that you get from each library goes up and down? The point I'm trying to get to is people fall in love with the first library that gives them a kiss. Um, My dad always said that to me, don't fall in love with the first girl who kisses you back. Um, (laughs) And uh, 
it, it's true. Um, so a lot of people, a library reaches out or they get something through taxi placed in a library and the library goes, I love this. Can you do a full album of this? 10, 10 more of these for me. Um, and then they, I've got a publisher who loves me. They don't love you. They may like you and you may get along fine, have a great working relationship, but they're not just in love with you and your music across the board. They're in love with that music because they needed it and had an outlet for it. So if you give them everything you make in every genre, you may be giving, is it true that you may be giving them music that they won't get placed? Yeah. And then you're like, wow, that library was really hot for me six months ago. And now they're, they're a stiff. Um, so I say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Am I nuts? Yeah, no, I think I think I did that in the beginning, and that was wrong to, to do because, like you said, you're, you you get this, you've got this deal, and I'm like, like, oh, okay, and this is my first publishing deal, so let me, you know, uh, give them everything I have or, or write content <laughs> for it, and and you know, it, it maybe it works out and maybe it doesn't, but you definitely shouldn't be putting all your eggs in one basket, you know, kind of hold some back, uh, you know, and and then that way the next deal comes along because at some point you're going to figure out what publishers work for you and what you know what works best for as, as a relationship uh, yeah which I think is important you know because you could feed these people all these rock tracks or, or blues tracks and you know they just needed it for that one show and now they're not they, they moved on so, so now you right. have 20 tracks that they're not even looking at yeah the show ends you know or maybe the music supervisor gets fired and they get a new one who doesn't have a relationship with that library there are several ways that that can go south um and i remember once you said to me uh, i remain a taxi member even though i'm successful at this because it's always a good idea to meet a new library or two every year and i I think it was you the other day that said to me in one of our phone calls it's like wow you guys have so many great listings now we do we, we've had 2022 has been our best year for adding new companies really I mean we've always worked with great companies we're getting more great companies running listings with us on a regular basis than ever before it's like the industry is but before we had to call them and say hey would you like to work with us? And now they're calling us going, is it okay if I can run a listing? Well, let me see. We'll have to check the calendar, see if we can squeeze you in. So I think I, I, I said to you, it's almost like a renaissance period because like it, it, it was, I was flashing back to when I started, like all these listings coming in, you know, and then you had this, you had a great opportunity for a lot of different genres and kind of helped me build my uh, recording different genres that way. I remember doing like a world beat kind of song or Eclipse, I forgot what it was, Eclipse, I never would have done that, but I saw a taxi listing, I'm like, ah, let's give it a shot, and, so, and I got placed, so, <laughs> yep. cool. Um, uh, somebody just asked a question in the chat room that's literally tied into what I'm about to ask you, um, which is, how do you know which libraries specialize in which genres? And to the person who asked, which is Jay Tezzy, I want to let you know, they may specialize, they they don't permanently specialize in a genre. It yeah. comes and goes with whatever's hot in television that year. If there are a bunch of shows that are Kardashian-like, it's gonna be mm -hmm. that kind of music. If there are shows that are more like Duck Dynasty, it's gonna be that kind of music. But they yeah. don't only yeah. specialize in that one thing forever. So how is it that you determine um, uh, 
is it through conversations with the people at the library? What what else? Yeah. What other shows are you working with? How do you find that? How do you do your well, intel? I think that they actually help me because a lot of the, the publishers that I work with, like I'm the I'm the quote guitar guy, right? So if they need something, you know, they kind of know my skills as a guitarist. So if, if it's something like I'll get calls from publishers saying, hey, you know, we really could use some of this for this show or that for that show. They know what I can do, you know. So they'll, I'm not going to get the call saying, "Hey, I need that, you know, dance piece, dance hall, whatever." Like that's that's just not me. So I think once you start submitting to a publisher, they start to understand. Okay, well, you know, Keith Keith's really kicking out on the guitar stuff. You know, maybe not so much on the on the you know piano ballad stuff, but um, <laughs> so they they, they kind of get that. They work together. I think you, you you have you open up that line of communication with the publisher, and you say, "Okay, well." Hey, what do you need? You know, what do you, you know, what do you need me to do for you and stuff like that? And that, I think that helps start getting uh, the relationship. I keep on saying relationship, but it's important to have a relationship, not just submit music to a, a company and say, okay, here's my ten tracks. You know, try to try to form a relationship with them and and, and see what that you could do for them to, you know, expand their opportunity for placements because you both win at that point. It's a business, uh, you know, and yeah. if you're selling. Um, let's say you open up a little restaurant or diner and if you notice that the blueberry pancakes sell a lot better than regular pancakes you're going to order a lot of blueberries and you're going to figure yeah. out how many blueberries you need per week so that you have enough to fill the orders but not yeah. enough that they spoil this is not different it's literally sensing what the marketplace is asking for and, and giving the marketplace what it's asking for duh business 101 um, just on their website what shows they have music on right so if you see that these shows are completely out of your league then you kind of have a picture of what you know maybe you shouldn't be putting music in there or trying to unless you know whatever and, and i i completely agree with that even if you're in their league um and but if they have the kardashians on there and duck dynasty on there those shows happen they're no longer on the air so yeah. look for the stuff yeah, that they're exactly. showing that's current today versus yeah. what they did two years ago five years ago or ten years ago because currency matters um have you ever noticed uh oh, got you already did that okay so I, I as i mentioned before keith is the inventor of composer catalog which is used by a lot of taxis members um, it's much better than a spreadsheet for tracking which music you've created, where you've pitched it, who has signed it, who your co-writers might be on it, um, for cataloging, okay, here's the full track, here's an alt mix, here's a, a, a mix, mine is vocal, here's a 60 second cut down, here's a 30 second cut down. So you can keep all that stuff organized, which, you know, let's face it, you could do that in a spreadsheet but it would be a huge pain in the butt, number one. It would be a gigantic spreadsheet, number two. So being that IT is, is what you do, programming is what you do for your day job, and you happen to have this problem, you invented Composer Catalog. So uh, something that we talked about on last week's show actually ties into this, and I think that Composer Catalog solves this problem. And, and the problem is, we have so many members. Uh, we were on with Pedro last week. Um, he sent an email saying that a batch of music that we sent to his library uh, when his 
number two person at the company, his assistant, excuse me, um, listened to stuff and picked the stuff that 60% of it was already signed to Song Trust for admin deals or CD Baby for publishing deals. So all kinds of people, and I understand why they do it. You know, they're distributing their music through CD Baby, which is a fine, reputable company. I'm not impugning the integrity of these companies in any way, shape, or form, but I'm saying know what you're signing because people see that little box. Would you like to upgrade to CD Baby Pro and have us monetize your music? Hmm, monetize means money. Of course I would. Check the box. And what they don't realize is they've entered into a publishing deal. But then a year later or six years later or 10 years later, they take that same piece of music, submit it to Taxi when a music library, which is a publisher, is looking for stuff to add to their catalog. They get it. They go through this whole vetting process. And then when it's time to pull the trigger on it, it's like, hold on a minute. This stuff is already published. So I can't sign it because it's already public. So as I was lamenting that problem, I realized Composer Catalog would be an awesome way to keep track of all the music where you did check the box and agreed to either publish it or do an admin deal. So does Composer Catalog have the capacity to do that? Yeah, you could. I mean, I, I always created a catch-all comments tag because I know I wouldn't be able to catch everything. That's fully searchable. So if you wanted to put, you know, uh, submitted to CD Baby, whatever, then you search on CD Baby, all your tracks would come up that have that in the comment section. So there's there are ways to uh, to handle that. Um, the the biggest thing is for me, I didn't want to submit a track that I've already submitted or I've already signed. Right. Like that was like the big the biggest no no, right? So it's like, hey, well, but CD Baby is a no no too. But I just didn't want to do that. Um, so that was kind of like my spreadsheet was just crazy, you know. And I'm not a spreadsheet kind of king. There's people out there that can that can kill it and pops through them. Uh, I just I just can never do that. So I, you know, kind of did some typing and put a little database together. And well, it, and people can check it out at composer composercatalog.com, right? Yes. Um, you know, I was one of the earliest people to see it, and I was blown away. I don't have a catalog, so I didn't really need it or use it, but I could certainly see um, from a business person's perspective, you want to know where your products are going and what you have in inventory, all that stuff. Yeah. And this makes it so much easier. Spreadsheets are unwieldy. Um, you know, we obviously use spreadsheets for a lot of stuff here at Taxi, and, and frankly, I don't like it when a staff member sends me a link to a spreadsheet that's on like Google Docs, and I open the damn thing up, and it's got so many columns and rows that every time I look at this number and then I want to look at that number, it's like, you know, to get to the other number. And that's what I mean. I could be doing it completely wrong, but when I started, it was like, "Here's the song, and here's the publishers." And, and if it was non-exclusive, if there was two publishers, and then it would be like, "Submitted this one to Taxi." And, oh, I got the new column. It's a new publisher. And then it got to the point where you know it was all the way down. I'm like, "Nah, this isn't working." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you. It, it creates more work than problems yeah. does it solve. You know, because of just the physical location on the spreadsheet. So yeah, um, everybody. I'll offer a free trial because I know it's not going. It's not a perfect fit for everybody. So you can at least try it. If it's not your, your bag, it's cool. You know, uh, but it's there's a free trial that you can put five tracks in and just see what it's like. You know, if you wanted to. 
Um, absolutely. People should absolutely do that. And honestly, uh, you've improved it a lot since I saw the early version of it, but it's going to work for a lot more people than it doesn't. Uh, let's find somebody who it's going to work for right now. Um, I asked Keith if he would give one away during the show today. Yeah. So as long as we're on the subject, let's do it. And here's what we're going to do. You can only type plus one one time. Don't type it in 10 times. Um, and don't start typing until I say to start typing it. And then Liz is going to take her finger and run it up and down the chat room and pick a person. And that person um, will email Liz and she will connect them with Keith and he will give them a key. Sherry Bell. Bad, oh. Sherry. Bad. You just typed in plus one, even though I said don't do it yet. Oh, this, well, this is some weight music. There you go. Okay. <laughs> go ahead and play. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, so type your plus one now. Go. Gloria Covington sitting it out because she already owns it. Good job, Gloria. Way to be. Michael, you can put your ZZ Top song in there. So you can put a plus one if you wanted to. This is the long version. Michael J. Fox walking, doing his little thing on the stage. <laughs> Button ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 18 minutes. Uh, and Liz will give us an answer soon. We need a bobblehead of Michael. Michael is the bobblehead. <laughs> Yeah, somebody, I think you're talking about my outfit today, which I'm wearing my NASA shirt, uh, which I'm very proud of. John Dretzel, you are the big winner. Congratulations. You're absolutely going to love Composer Catalog. Woo! So here's what you do is send Liz, L-I-Z, at taxi.com, your email address and maybe your cell phone number, and then she will forward it to Keith, and he will hook you up. And am I remembering this correctly? I had a crazy morning, but did I see you say that you were offering a discount to taxi members? I did. I did. I sent you the link. Um, oh, I didn't forward it to Liz. If you would, hold uh, on, hold on. Or, or maybe I, I did. I can't remember. I can probably look it up if you uh, give me a couple seconds here. Okay. Um, yeah, I got to boot up my phone. So oh, Liz has it. Okay. Awesome. All right, she put in uh, composercatalog.com slash disco something. 
No, that doesn't sound right. No, composercatalog.com. I think it was forward slash composer 2022. Yeah, disco would be a playlist. Might want to eliminate that. Definitely not that one. I got my, uh, my phone's booting up, so. <laughs> We've had our share of tech stuff oh today. Oh, gosh. Let's <laughs> see if I can grab it up here. Oh, I see. It's Discount 2002, so it looks like Disco because it was cutting off in the chat. So okay. it's Composer Catalog. Discount 2022. Uh, Liz has Discount 2002. I don't know if that's a typo from her or a typo from you. All right, I'm pulling it up. All right, so we got oh it's 2022 right yeah liz had a typo in hers it's not 2002 okay. it's 2022 i'm looking at the email um okay so there you go go check it out get your discount uh or try the demo um You'd be, you know what, if you really sincerely want to eliminate the problem of ruining your relationships with companies by sending a music that's already signed, Composer Catalog is by far the best way to do it. So there you go. Um, all right, so I've already talked about, let's see, oh, we got a half an hour left, good. Um, we already talked about songs versus cues. Um, I'll reiterate it once really quickly just because it's here in my notes, and that is with cues in any given uh, reality show, there are typically somewhere between 85 and maybe as many as 125 slots for instrumental cues. In a typical one-hour drama, there might be two or three or four or sometimes only one slot for a song with vocals on it. Typically, those slots are somebody walks into a bar and there's a jukebox playing in the background so that's you know that's my yeah. specialty there you go uh, and every now and then there'll be a featured song that's done in a montage the end of the show where the boyfriend and girlfriend decide they want to get back together and all those little things they want to say to each other expressions of love how much you mean to me um can sometimes be best summed up in a two and a half minute song. And so they'll just show a close up of the two of them staring into each other's eyes or walking hand in hand down the beach together and playing the song with the lyric that fills in what the script isn't saying. But even though that might get you 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 bucks, um, the number of opportunities are, are very few. So personally, I... Yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, with, with, with the songs, um, yeah, it would be interesting to kind of plot that out, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure the instrumentals do win out, you know, I, I guess with that, but it'd be interesting to see what the data points and how much, like, a song and the longevity of it and different placements compared to an instrumental, like, be interesting. 
We should do a little study with uh, you and somebody who does mostly songs like Kelly oh. J. Um, yeah. um, you know, they could earn a whole year's worth of income by one placement right. in a in a Nike commercial. Exactly. Uh, but then again, they may not get another commercial that generates fifty or a hundred grand for another three years or ever. You, yeah. you know, yeah. no guarantees. Um, all right, so let's open up the floor for viewer questions now. And if you would be so kind, please type the word "question" in all caps so it's easy for me to spot them and in, uh, in the chat room, and I will um, feed them to Keith, and he will answer. Uh, how long is the discount active? Uh, I'll keep it up for a week, so let's say next Monday. Today's Monday? Okay. Today's Monday? Yeah, today's Monday. <laughs> so a week. Question, should you name all your tracks? Should I name all my tracks? I do name all my tracks, unless I'm told not to. Um, but I try to make them as interesting, I'm, I'm sure everyone says this, but as interestingly as possible, especially if I know if it's going to a certain TV show and they're, you know, batch of, of cues I want to make it kind of you know um, stand out and especially with sports stuff or rock stuff you know it's, if it's going to let's say like a football kind of project you want to kind of you know name it like that not too specific but something that uh, something like we we are the champions yeah yeah something <laughs> something you know that you, you're <laughs> something you know that you're you're getting you know it's a sports vibe but, it makes it easier for out. editors to identify, yeah. oh, that, you know, it telegraphs yeah. what it's going to sound like. And I know I said this before, and I, before I, we move on, I do want to say this. One of the things I did in the very beginning is everyone says, should I should I sign this deal, right? Should I sign this with my piece of music, or should I hold on to it, yeah? And to me, I, I always just signed it, right? Because then, or if I, if, I, if I have two, perfect example, like this song was submitted to three different taxi submissions, right? first guy first publisher you know comes back and says we'd like to sign well i have two others so should i wait what should i do right and i've always said like what i've always done was sign it and then when the other people say i'd like to sign this say oh, i'm sorry it's signed but i can write something just like it you know and i usually would get it to them the next morning right so then wow would, so i knew when they opened up that email they weren't they knew they weren't going to get that check but guess what here's another one you know so that opened up another relationship so I, and i did a re i don't want to say recently maybe a year ago with that clap stomp compilation you put together right yeah uh, it, it was i got three relationships out of that deal from one because one you know i signed the original one and then two other people came through and said hey we'd like that and so i, I quick wrote stuff and you know so i got three three for one you know so I, don't be but, afraid to, to keep you know your music and, and don't submit anything or sign anything just go for it Keith, what Keith's referring to the stomp clap compilation that Taxi put out that he was contacted by multiple companies wanting to sign so excuse me we just had the same scenario we did election night coverage um, yeah. and everybody on that compilation got hit up by at least most of them got hit up by several libraries and I got a phone call from uh, you know somebody I consider to be extremely picky and he called me up and said I gotta tell you man that compilation you sent out especially this particular guy 
was amazingly good. So those compilations are working well for our members. So when you see those, pay attention to them, kids. Um, okay, here's a question from Elizabeth Usher. With Composer Catalog only being installed on one computer, what do you recommend for people who work on a desktop at home and then take a laptop to conferences or whatever? Well, you could always export your database. I mean, depends on how crazy you want to get it. I've always kept it into one uh, desktop because of licensing, I got, you know, as far as trying to keep it from pirating. Um, but if you're, gonna, if you're on the move like that, I, I guess you could export the database and then import it if you're going to be away for a couple of weeks and then import it into another desktop, do your work, come home, you know, export the database, import it in there. Kind of, kind of clunky, not, I'm going to be completely honest, um, but that's <laughs> one way of doing it. <laughs> But you you mentioned that eventually you're going to come out with a, an online version of it, right? Yes. That'll be great. Yeah, working on it currently. All right. Uh, let's go for another question. Um, I hate this one. They build up, and then I touch the thing. It just like goes, and a bunch of them go flying by. So I'm going to go back and recapture those. Um, Wow, we must, I think we've got a lot of new people in here, and I'm glad you guys are watching. Um, do you have artwork for each track? I do not, no. no. And, and I would say uh, nobody does, because, yeah. yeah, it's different than the record business. It's different than yeah. streaming on Spotify. This production music, people, yeah. an editor working in an edit bay on a TV show yeah. isn't going to look and go, oh, that's such a pretty rainbow. Let me listen yeah. to that one. That's not yeah. the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> It's basically um, a widget. It's basically a widget, you know. It gets you there, and they use it, and that's it. You know, so. Yep. Uh, this is a question from Jay Tezzi. Keith. When you submit, do you send a thirty, sixty, full mixes, alt versions, all at once? No. Um, you submit your full track, and then once they say, you know, hey, we like this, they usually dictate what they want. You know, so it's not always going to be a thirty, sixty, ninety. It could be something completely different. So I always for the publisher to say you know what what's their requirements and then cut my stems and all that um question what genres tend to pay better uh, which tend to have more demand well I mean, I mean i would say and i there's no data back in this but it seems like the like kind of uh i, I want to say hip-hop kind of dance genre rock i mean if you're going to start going into like heavy metal that's probably not going to pay you know big or or I, I, but i'm not i shouldn't really say anything i i, I kind of know my wheelhouse so i'm sure hip-hop's part of that dance is part of that rock's part of that yeah, yeah it, it all depends what network and what shows i mean let's yeah. face it you turn on hgtv and you're going to yeah. hear a lot of you know capo halfway up the neck yeah. light yeah emotionally uplifting acoustic music oh look at the room now that we've painted it it makes such right, a difference yeah. versus turning on you know uh, a bmx race on a saturday is going to be a lot of crunchy guitars so um it it yeah. all depends yeah. it's not a one-size-fit-all you know right it's context context is everything but you yeah. know the good news is that you can learn those things 
by watching television and go, okay, I, I could make music for that show all day long. And so, good, make a bunch of that music and then find out which library works for that show or works yeah. with that show. Um, Andre Stepanian wants to know, when you were uh, going nuts submitting five to seven tracks a week, were you just trying all different genres or could you find enough guitar-based genres that were being requested? The majority of them were guitar-based, um, but I did go out of my wheelhouse and I'm glad I did um, you know, as far as that because it helped me kind of get a little more well-rounded. I, I think that's the ultimate goal is you want, you know, you don't want to be like, here's my uh, uh, I'm not ACDC guy right and it's it's great you know but but if you could be that ACDC guy and kind of be you know whatever whatever you want to say insert band here you kind of are rounding your abilities and getting more opportunities um, but I, to answer your question more directly the majority of them were, were guitar based but it wasn't necessarily rock it could have been the capo halfway up singer songwriter stuff or you know, blues stuff. Um, so, but another thing too, I've been playing since 1986. So I kind of, you know, <laughs> a lot of who played a long time kind of know how to play different styles. So. Right. But, um, the first, the first, uh, I still remember, and I probably said this, the first taxi listing, and we always, we always joke around about the, the submission. And I, you know, my, my first listing was a piano. It was like piano ballads, uh, unique cues for this, right? So, and I know everybody goes there. It's like they read this and like, I could play piano. I could do a ballad, you know? So you start like monkey pawing some stuff and hey, here it is, you know? Can you imagine if you didn't have like a $5 submission or, you know, like for that, like you'd have right. all these people that, like, like me, right? Be sending out like four of these submissions thinking, I got this, you know? And that was my first, eye opener with taxi it's like okay there's a bar here that we got to work with you know and, and it kind of helps you you know get well rounded with everything yeah that's exactly why we charge a submission fee yeah. uh, we call it in-house we call it the discouragement fee so that people yeah. don't take pot shots at every single listing it would bog down right. the system so much that we couldn't offer you know taxi at a fair price it'd be three thousand dollars not three hundred bucks just because we need without a submission fee. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, at first, I didn't have the submission fee designed into the business plan. And John Brahaney from LA Songwriter Showcase, who was one of our earliest screeners, but I initially hired him as a consultant. And he said to me, You've got to have a submission fee. Otherwise, people will send in every song they've written for every <laughs> listing every time you run one. And, and, and yep. you won't have a company in 30 yeah. days. He was right. Um, Anna Cote, this question doesn't really make sense, so I'm going to take this one and try and make sense of it for you. Uh, do you questions for Keith, but I'm going to answer for him. Uh, do you submit one song to more than one publisher or submit only one album per publisher? No, with Taxi's listings, submit that song for as many different opportunities as you think it's a really good fit for. And whichever one calls you first, if the deal sounds good, sign the deal. If one of the people from a, a subsequent submission or even one that you made earlier calls you after you've agreed to do that first deal, do exactly what Keith did, which is you say, 
I'm sorry, that one's gone, but I can make you more of those if you'd like. That way you get stuff in two libraries, maybe even three. So I hope that answers your question. Um, once again, the jumping questions, scrolling back so I don't miss anybody. Even better if you can have that another additional queue when you write back to that publisher and have it ready for them and say, oh, I, I can't sign that one, but here's one that's kind of like it. You know? Yeah. That, that's probably a long way. And for the kids who are new to the drill, um, the day that you're doing that cue, let's say you're doing a stomp clap. Well, let, let's let uh, let's say you're doing a straight up thing, like the taxi TV theme. You're doing something that's like a ZZ Top guitar driven rock track. Um, you might as well record three or four of them because you already have the drum sound, you already have the bass sound, you already have the guitar sound. Yep. Now you have to think about different moods. Okay, so let's do one that's fun and uplifting and raucous. Let's do another one that's a little ominous and serious. Let's do another one that sounds like sports. And you could do three or four or five of them, um, maybe do a different key. Some of them are major, some of them might have a minor or a seventh thrown in there, but you've got the sounds, you've already got your template. So make more so you don't have to go be and reinvent the, the wheel. Template. So when you're done, yeah. save it as a template, right? Because now you have, you know exactly what instruments are needed. So that's, that's another big thing is having templates. You know, so, yeah, Ken Mesford wants to know, um, do you use real amps or do you use a modeler? I have a Kemper profiler um, and I also use plugins. So uh, Neural DSPs, uh, I really like their stuff. Um, but Kemper usually is what I'll... I heard one the other day from Universal Audio. They've got a stomp box that mimics um, the Vox AC30. Um, it, it, it was incredible how close, I mean, it sounded amazing. Um, it is crazy if, these days. I think we talked about that. It's crazy how close they are getting to, you know, something like that. Yep. All right. Um, do you batch copyrights or, or copyright things separately? This is this this person's going to be shocked at the answer because I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> no copyrights at all. It's by the time you, you wrote down all the copyrights and did all it's like it's, it's there's no copywriting at all. So, and, yeah, and the reason being now, if you're writing a song that you're going to pitch to major label artists, absolutely register that copyright for a 90 second thing. It's yeah. like. Nobody's going to bother stealing it because it's not going to generate enough money on its own to make it valuable enough to steal. So if anybody comes out with another one that sounds like that, it was probably by accident. Yeah, yeah. If it's any, like you said, if it's my own personal projects, like an album that I for me personally, I'll copyright that, but not anything for television. No. Okay, looking for other stuff. Um, Sherry Bell wants to know, and I'm not sure this is the right episode to answer this in, but if you want to take a shot, Keith, Sherry Bell says, how do I best utilize my daughter's sweet spot talent is deep lyrics and music melodies? Oh, the first question would be, can she write music? Can she play music? Or is she a lyricist? Because then you, if you're just a lyricist, then you need to find someone that can, you can co-write with and collaborate with. If, I, if I'm understanding that one right. Yeah, and so 
basically she writes deep lyrics which you know frankly there's not going to be a lot of need for in television yeah. because they've already got a script they don't need a lyric that tells the story about when i looked into your green eyes and you know thought about us riding down pch in your camaro convertible too much detail is often accompanied uh, in a deep lyric um but yes if you're going to look for a collaborator for your daughter somebody that can produce tracks um, we have taxi members that are really good in the studio, really good on their instruments, but they really can't write a melody as well as they'd like, or maybe lyrics aren't their strong suit. They get together, they make a happy marriage. We've seen it happen a thousand times, maybe a lot more. Um, all right. Uh, whoa, Don Coyne. Um, and you didn't type question before your question, Don. So I almost missed it. Would styles from an arranger keyboard work for a particular style of cues? Not sure I understand that one. Okay. Yeah, I'm having a, yeah, one of those keyboards that basically, I think, you know, like a Yamaha or a Casio keyboard where it does an uh, arrangement. Are we talking, are we like, talking sounds, like auto, like auto arrangements? Probably, I uh, think that's what he means. Uh, you might be. Uh, I don't. I don't have experience with that, but you might be too locked in as far as what your the keyboard can do compared to what you can write as a you know, composer, I guess. Right, and not to mention the fact that if you don't add a lot of stuff to it, you might get sued by the company yeah, that yeah, has, yeah. you know because you're basically yeah. just taking their music yeah. <laughs> and licensing yeah. it as something you created. Yeah. That would be fun. Um, when is your road rally? The road rally is November 3rd. Thursday night is check-in, get your badge, go to the bar. Don't bring your kid unless she's like over 18 or 21, I guess. Uh, and, and, and Friday the 4th of November, Saturday the 5th, and Sunday the 6th. It's life-changing. You really need to come. Um, I'm looking for another question. Not a lot of people putting the word question in front of their questions. Um, is GarageBand good enough for a pro listing? In other words, can you make a good sounding recording with GarageBand? I do not have any experience with GarageBand, so I don't know the limitations of it. Um, sounds like it's probably a good start like I um, I just don't know what their can sounds sound like uh, if, if that's how it works because you want to have the most authentic sounds and again I apologize if if I'm missing the market garage band but if it's stock sounds sometimes they're not the best sounds right as far as like let's say piano or something like that I've got to say, I'm pretty familiar with GarageBand, and surprisingly, a lot of the sounds that are in Logic, which is 200 bucks, also come free in GarageBand. Okay. GarageBand has gotten so good in the last couple of years that it is what Logic used to be five years ago or seven okay. years ago. It's yeah. pretty impressive. Um, okay. So it's perfectly suitable for starting out. Um, but go. you'll outgrow it and then spend the 200 bucks on Logic because you'll already be good with GarageBand. It's an amazing tool for free. Yep. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. um, 
how do you, uh, this is from Katrina Seifert. Uh, Keith, how do you balance your composing workflow with your other work? That's a great question. Uh, well, these days, um, I try to prioritize um, the projects. So if I'm just writing for a publisher for their catalog, that's going to be a little, that's going to give me a little bit more flexibility as far as time, you know, but if it's something like, hey, you have a chance to write this theme music for the show and we need it tomorrow, right? So then we kind of, you know, I talk to my wife and say, hey, you know, this is going to happen, it'll be good, you know, can we do this schedule-wise? And, and then we kind of work it out. Um, but I think that for me, if I know that it's going to be part of a, like if, if they're pitching it to television straight away, uh, I'll, I'll just put a heavier weight on that priority, and then you know I'll, I'll work on it for those nights, and then when it's done and, and it's going back to this writing for a library, then I'll kind of kick back and just make sure there's a balance. In the beginning, I was just it was it was great. It built a library. Don't get me wrong, uh, but it was just way too much. It was it was burning the candle at both ends for me. You know, looking back. His beard used to be brown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, here's one from Russell James. How is it that taxi members connect with each other? Does that happen by chance or at the road rally oh, or what? Let me take this one. Please. Go to the, go to the road rally. That is probably the, the well, the forums is, is another one. Uh, there's a lot of great people on there. But if you go to the forum, it is, an, or go to the rally, it is amazing. Like you find, and I, I We've talked about this. The taxi family isn't like your normal, you know, when you used to play the, the like, you had four bands on a bill and they all hated each other because they all wanted to be the best. Everyone's looking to, to lift everybody at, at taxi. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, it, it really is. And if you go there, I'm, I was pretty nervous the first time. I didn't know anybody. And, uh, you know, it's just right off the bat. You just, people brought you into the circle and, and, you know, it's, I view a lot of those friendships more importantly than more important than the connections I make. Yeah, you know? so it's it's a, it's a good thing. Go to the forum or go to the uh, rally. Yeah, and go to the forum forums with an s dot taxi dot com. Um, a lot of relationships have been made there. Um, you know, guitar players that need a keyboard, saxophone yeah. player that's needed by somebody doing an old blues thing. I mean, it's just, you'll find co-writers, you'll find people who play instruments you don't, you'll find people who are better at mixing than you are, and you can bounce your mix off of them and they'll give you suggestions. And as Keith said, it's very, almost freakishly non-competitive. Yeah. It really is. It's very like strange for a bunch of people that are competing to actually lift each other up, but they do. Uh, there is no sense of backstabbing or I'm going to give them the wrong information, send them down the wrong rabbit hole. None of that. I mean, just remember, uh, like playing clubs as an original band, and, and hey, can I use your back line? Like, no, this is mine. You're like, it was never like <laughs> crazy. Huh? Like, nine boy, nine volt, no. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, band's like, no, yeah. you can't use my AC30 yeah. in the back line because hey, right. that's, that's my jam, hey. man. Um, Owen Chame in the house. Hey, Owen. Hey. Uh, Owen hey. says, I had a track forwarded that I wrote and recorded on my iPhone's garage band in my Weston hotel room during the road <laughs> rally. Recording vo vocals into the headphone mic. Oh which is wow 
Oh, there it is, right there. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. I think uh, Ozzy Motley, Motley recorded an entire album on an iPad or an iPhone using, I want to say GarageBand and an Apogee, the Apogee One yeah. interface thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. It, yeah. I, like I said, I didn't know anything about it, but it sounds awesome, too. It really, it's quite amazing. The one thing it doesn't have is faders. It's only got pots, yeah. you know, so um, I'm a fader guy, so I was really uh, very, very happy the day that I got uh, Logic. Um, what type of guitar tracks are most in demand, if any? Uh, I, well, I get a lot of calls uh, for garage rock. Um, Kind of like that fuzzed out rock stuff um so i always get calls for that a lot of like traditional blues like um bar kind of stuff um that you would hear like in a bar mm -hmm. on television um and sports like the up-tempo you know driving stuff that you'd hear like in a replay or if they're you know highlighting a, a player you know they, they would play behind it for me those are the three most common ones i normally would get i think um, Ethan Akamura, I believe you know him, uh, has a question. Um, yo, Ethan. Uh, there you go. What are you using for electric guitar sounds these days in your recordings? I'm doing the Kemper Profiler um, and a couple like plugins as far as, the, like I said, Neural DSP. But the majority of stuff is the Kemper Profiler. It's black. It's, a, it's dark magic. It's amazing, I think. Great. All right. Uh, we've still got four and a half minutes left and no current questions. So kick up some questions. Here's one from Riney Bear. Hey, Riney. Uh, how much of the production work do you do yourself in relation to your end product track? All of it. So, no, I mean, if it's just me writing it, like, I don't. I, I mix it and do everything. If it's a collab collaborative, obviously, you know, people are doing different things. So, but if it's my track, I usually do it all. I, I do it all. Yeah. Here's one from TL TLC DC. Uh, do you work with any video game producers? I don't. I'd love to. Yeah, but I I don't. I thought that'd be cool. Like if I'd been in, into that. And here's a question from Mary and Laird, who must know you well. How many guitars do you have so far, Keith? Uh, the connection is very choppy. I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have uh, more than I have a lot of guitars. <laughs> he does. Keith will call me when he gets his quarterly check uh, for his performance royalties and go, yeah, that just bought me you know, some rare guitar that I've never even heard of. But you know what? He works his butt off, earns a good living for his family, and, and guitars are his tool. Um, which, which mastering plug-in do you use? It really depends on the track. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the things. Older, there's a a plugin I love called it's it's an older plugin. Uh, it's by um, Sonics, I believe. It's called Inflator, and it's kind of like a, a limiter that adds I want to say some harmonic distortion, but it's really old. People probably don't use that anymore. Um, Ozone's cool as far as like if you wanted to do a quick 
Um, not a quick, but that kind of gets the job done. Um, it really depends on the project. Yeah. So it ain't one size fits all. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul's question just got answered. Ozone, I've got to say, for those of you talking about mastering, ozone is the one that I hear from most of our members who I consider fairly advanced members who are very comfortable with their yeah. workstations, very comfortable with yeah. soft music software in general. Ozone seems to be the thing. Okay, yeah. um, got that. You got to tweak that still, though. Like it's like, I yeah, have it, a lot of automated parameters, and and if you just if you don't know what you're listening to, it could be a little crazy. <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, it, awesome. if you hear it making a sucking sound in your music, it means yeah. that you've gone <laughs> turn the knob back the other yeah. direction. Yeah. Um, are your cues usually signed exclusively or are they available for further use I'm not sure Russell really understands the way the question's worded I'm not sure if Russell really understands how libraries work but go ahead Keith uh, for me I kind of shifted towards exclusive in the beginning I did non-exclusive um, nothing against non-exclusive libraries it just it just seemed like i wanted to go the exclusive route because it was just easier you know because i was treating my non-exclusives as exclusive and what i mean by that is when you have an exclusive library you can put one track into multiple libraries and they would be titled that usually you know so this song could be called born to be wild and this one could be called you know wow i'm born i'm born wild or something you know whatever <laughs> but they would retitle it uh, and it just got like i don't know to me it got a little crazy so i just either if i'm in a non-exclusive i just treat it exclusively and if i'm in an exclusive i you know obviously record you know that's the only place it goes so answer your question if, if i could probably do it clear whatever i'm submitting it to that's where it lands and that's that's it so basically yeah in the library just uh, to a gentleman who asked the question, or it could be a lady, I'm not sure. Uh, when they sign your stuff, and if they license it to TV show A, they can also license that to TV show B and TV show C, and they can license it to something in Germany or something in Japan. There's very rarely is there a case where when somebody licenses your music, only one end user can use it. Um, that maybe here's a case where that might happen if they license it for an Apple computer commercial. Apple's going to say, okay, we want an exclusive on that so it can only appear in our commercial and not name TV shows or other commercials for a period of one year or five years or something. But I wouldn't even worry about that. The chances of that happening to you in your lifetime are pretty darn slim. Um, and with that, we're out of time, if you can believe it. This really flew by. Um, and once again, I want to plug Composer Catalog because it's the right tool for doing what you guys need to do. I don't get paid for this. I don't make a commission on it. I do it because Keith invented something. Being an end user, he understood what it needed to do and built the right thing. ComposerCatalog.com. He's got a discount currently running for a week for taxi members. Um, go check it out. You can download it, put five or six songs in, try it for a week. Again, I want to reiterate that you cannot submit music to a production music library listing or a publisher listing through Taxi 
if that music is in fact already published and you may not even realize that you did publish it the day you check that box to upgrade to CD Baby Pro or the equivalent thereof with um, TuneCore or maybe you signed with SongTrust uh, to administrate your music and collect your royalties for online appearances. Um, all those things are one form or another of a publishing deal that prevent you from signing with most production music libraries. Somebody's gonna say in the comments, so I'm gonna stop that now, they're gonna say, but it's non-exclusive. Some of them are non-exclusive deals, meaning you could put the same music in two or three different catalogs. The problem is people forget that they signed that non-exclusive by checking that box three years ago, and then they submit it for a listing for an exclusive library. The exclusive library spends an hour vetting the music, checking you out as a composer, listening to other music they can find of yours online, doing all this due diligence, and then they offer you the deal only to find out that you checked that box three years ago and forgot about it. So you need Composer Catalog so that you can write CD Baby in the comment section. You should do a color coding thing that there's like fluorescent red or something shows up. Uh, any any song that's already been signed somewhere that there's a color code for it. Actually, I forgot. I, I created a custom track status so you can put whatever status you want in there. So there's a drop down like submitted to Taxi, you know, uh, submitted to CD Baby. So you can do that too. So forgot about that. See? There you go. Um, Keith, well, I'm incredibly proud for you. Any uh, proud of you. Anybody who's tuned in late to the show, I just want to read these numbers off one more time. We were redoing the homepage on the website the other day and I saw an updated quote from Keith. I've had 105,455 placements on 1711 TV shows on 283 networks. So if there's anybody that can speak to uh, earning a full-time living, how many tracks do you need to earn a full-time living with Sync? There's your guy. But remember, he still has a full-time day job and a family and a mortgage and a car payment and all the other things that go along with being a grown-up. But yet he finds the time to make enough music that he's had over 105,000 placements. So congratulations. Thank you for taking the time to do this. You could have been, you could have done a track during the time we did this show. <laughs> and once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Keith LeBrant playing us out. Thank you for showing up. Right. Don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget, forget to hit the subscribe button. Um, and click that little bell up there so you get alerts when we go live for future shows. And for God's sake, go to taxi.com and check out the Road Rally coming up November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th of 2022, right here in beautiful Los Angeles. And with that, here is Keith LeBrant playing us out. every week.